time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. I know this is a really hard time for everyone. We're facing a killer virus, economic pain, and all the frustrations of being cooped up at home. Believe me, I have two teenagers to deal with. But the worst thing we can do is let up now, triggering a second coronavirus wave that causes more death and economic chaos. What you're doing is working. You're saving lives. So let's all hang in there and please stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects this hour um, with the author of a compelling new book that debunks JFK conspiracy theories. The book is called On the Trail of Delusion. Uh, Jim Garrison, The Great Accuser, by Fred Litwin, who joins me by phone. Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Great to be here. Um, I, I did an interview once with a, with a guy from Russia who was talking about Russian conspiracy theories, and he said that they were always a little bit envious in Russia of uh, American conspiracy theories because we were so good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I, we, we, we are good at it, although they're, they're pretty good, too. I thought you would appreciate that. Uh, I, I too, am, um, I, I don't want to say a buff, but, but I have a very heightened uh, fascination with the assassination of JFK and the various conspiracy theories that followed. How did you get hooked? I got hooked um, through the Geraldo Rivera show in 1975 when he showed the Zapruder film for the first time on national television. I saw Kennedy's head move back and to the left with the fatal headshot, and I, that convinced me at the time that there must have been a conspiracy. And the next day I went to the library and started reading up on the assassination, and it's been uh, a hobby of mine for, uh, for many decades, since 1975. Um. There's there's a quote on the press release about your book that says there was only one gunman. Are are, are you convinced of that? Oh, absolutely. There, there's no question in my mind there was only one gunman. Lee Harvey Oswald firing from behind. 
um, uh, there's this clear incontrovertible evidence to support that. And this is an interesting time because we've been talking about conspiracy theories a lot in the news, especially uh, with regard to the 2020 presidential election. <laughs> um, it, it, um, I have the same question now that I've had all these years about the JFK conspiracy theories. How do so many people believe so fervently in the conspiracy theories? Well, I have a very good answer for that. And the, the fact is that there was a cover-up. And so there was no conspiracy but a cover-up. What happened after the assassination is that many agencies had things to cover up. The CIA had to cover up the fact it was trying to kill Castro with the mob and, and, uh, and anti-Castro Cubans. So they covered that up. The FBI had to cover up the fact that it destroyed a note from Lee Harvey Oswald delivered a few days uh, before the assassination. The, the Secret Service had things to cover up. So with all the covering up that was going on, it made it look like there was a conspiracy, um, but there wasn't. And and there were a lot of, uh, I, I don't know if you'd call them coincidences or what, but the power outage in Washington, D.C. that happened uh, about the same time. There were, there were, there were other things that, that created smoke, but um, what convinced you there was no fire? What really convinced me was in the early 1990s, I was living in England, and the House Select Committee on Assassinations, all of their uh, volumes of evidence, which I'd never seen, uh, came out on CD-ROM. And so for the first time in my, my own home, I can go through all their volumes, and they had done a lot of scientific testing, ballistics, firearms, fingerprint, uh, forensics, photographic, and every scientific test they did supported a lone gunman and i had to i had to admit this is really quite convincing stuff i remember uh this has been uh several years ago probably 2013 i think uh for the 50th anniversary of the jfk assassination i interviewed the uh, former michigan treasurer doug roberts his dad was riding in the car behind the kennedy limousine that day he was a member of the secret service in fact i think he was the shift supervisor right. that day right and um and, and doug told me he said his his dad was absolutely convinced that there was one shooter that it was lee harvey oswald and he never budged from that throughout his life right and and i understand that and by the way the only eyewitnesses to a gun in Daly Plaza that day were the sixth floor window of the Texas School Book Depository. There were no other eyewitnesses to any other guns uh, in Daly Plaza. Now I hadn't, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't actually realized that because there were witness accounts that indicated that there were people in different areas that might support one of the the JFK conspiracy theories was the triangulation deal where there were three different shooters and so on i'm sure you're familiar with it oh yes and and but there were no i mean there, there were ear witnesses who perhaps thought there was a shot from the grassy knoll there were no eyewitnesses um yes you know people saw men behind the fence and stuff like that but there were people all over the place um there's just no evidence to support another gunman have you been to the daily plaza i have not 
Well, if you go, and the first time I went, around three or four years ago, I was actually shocked by how small it is. It is a very, very small area. And I don't see how conspirators could decide, well, you know what, it might be a good idea if we had three gunmen in this really small area, and they won't be seen. Because after all, you're trying to hide the fact it's a conspiracy. Um, I, it doesn't make sense. They would be noticed, and, and they weren't. Well, my favorite uh, comment came from uh, Sam Donaldson, who was on a, a talk show or one of the Sunday morning chats um, right after the uh, Oliver Stone film, JFK, came out. Right. And he said, the problem I have with with uh, Stone's film is that it presupposes two things that I can't, you know, reconcile. And that is that the government is inherently evil and incredibly competent. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never forgotten that, Fred, you know, for yeah. JFK conspiracy theory uh, fans. Um, it, that was, I thought, one of the one of the greatest comebacks to that movie and it's because of that movie that that people widely know who jim garrison is that's right i mean he was on the tonight show and you know he he was in the headlines a little bit in during the trial but after that he just kind of faded off the landscape but uh because of that movie he and um clay shaw Right. Yeah, that that movie really really put Jim Garrison on the map. I mean, he was really headed towards oblivion, um, but he was he, Oliver Stone pulled him back into the spotlight, uh, made him an awful lot of money in the process, and made him quite famous. Um, for those viewers who don't know, Jim Garrison was a district attorney of New Orleans in the '60s, who indicted an innocent gay man for conspiring to kill Kennedy in 1967, Clay Shaw. And the whole thing was a farce. It took two years to uh, for, to come to trial. Shaw was acquitted, and then Garrison charged Shaw with perjury, and that took another two years to get that quashed. And and uh, Clay Shaw was a pretty well-respected businessman in New Orleans. He was a well. World War II hero. He had worked under General Thrasher in uh, supplying uh, Nor the Normandy invasion with, with supplies, he won medals from three different countries for his work in World War II, uh, and he started the International Trade Mart, which is a World Trade Center in New Orleans. He had the whole building built. He oversaw that, and um, he was very well respected, and he retired early. In 1965, he decided to retire early so that he could write plays and restore properties in the French Quarter uh, and enjoy his life. And Jim Garrison ruined his life through these these ridiculous charges. What was it that that fueled Jim Garrison? Um, not only um, his 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 uh, desire to um, hold Clay Shaw accountable, but but that he thought it was his place to move forward when no one else did. Well, he was a very ambitious man, and I think he really hoped to be either governor of Louisiana or a uh, senator from Louisiana. So he was always, uh, once he took office in 1962, he was going after everybody. He attacked the police, the legislature, the courts, the judges. 
the bail bonds, you name it, he went after people. And in the summer and, and fall of 1966, he was a little bored. Um, and then all the assassination books started coming out. Mark Lane's Rush to Judgment, Harold Weisberg's Whitewash, Edward J. Epstein's Inquest. Garrison started reading these books and realized that Lee Harvey Oswald lived in New Orleans for five months prior to the assassination, and that he himself had worked on two early leads in New Orleans in 1963-64 for the Warren Commission and the FBI. And he decided, you know what, let's go relook at those two leads, and uh, that started him down the rabbit hole. And and was there any real connection between... Uh Lee Harvey Oswald and Clay Shaw? No, not at all. Uh, you know, and this is the sad part, was as he did his investigation of the two leads that were in New Orleans, uh, both leads led nowhere. There was actually nothing to them. And so he ended up manufacturing evidence through the use of, uh, he recovered a memory in one witness through the use of sodium pentothal, and he <laughs> hypnotized this witness three times. And he recovered, this witness, Perry Russo, had a recovered memory of being at an assassination plot meeting, which he said Clay Shaw was at. And that was the only evidence that Jim Garrison had. And it was a complete sham. It still seems, um, it, it still seems far-fetched to, to think because Oswald had spent some time in New Orleans that there was some... New Orleans connection or or uh, that that in and of itself was evidence of some conspiracy. He spent time well, in he, Russia, he too. Thought, he, he thought that maybe there was the incubation of a conspiracy might have been in New Orleans, and uh, there were two leads. Um, the, the fact is, though, that um, the, the two leads just didn't go anywhere, and, and he knew it. And so what do you do? You know, he, he could have backed off. He could have... Uh, backed off early in his investigation and said, oh, I looked into it, there's nothing there, let's move on. He would have been a hero. But he decided he, could, he thought he was, he was going to solve the crime of the century and it was going to make him famous. And it made him infamous. Um, of all of the, uh, the evidence there, did, did Jim Garrison ever come around in his thinking? No, no, no not at all. He could never admit that he was wrong so you know in, in fact it just got it got worse when the house select committee on assassinations was doing its second investigation garrison wrote the many memos of evidence of his evidence that they should look into and everything they looked into was nothing and so they realized themselves that his investigation was phony um, and that led the only avenue left to jim garrison was to write a book that Oliver Stone loved, and that made him famous. It, it did indeed. Um, Fred, I have to take a break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk oh, yeah, some sure. more? Sure. This is a, a fascinating topic, and uh, the book is called On the Trail of Delusion by Fred Litwin, um, James Garrison, the great accuser. Uh, we're going to let our broadcast partners at 92.1 WFOV uh, FM in uh, Flint, uh, squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have uh, some messages as well. And then we will return with Fred Litwin and more about JFK conspiracy theories right after this. Everybody's doing 
it on brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives, but we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19, where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get the through Tom Summer. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about uh, one of the the um, events in history that has has generated the most conspiracy theories: the assassination of JFK. Uh, courtesy of the author of a new book called On the Trail of Delusion by Fred Litwin. Um, Fred joins me by phone. Uh, Fred, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you oh, sit yeah. through all That's that. Oh, yeah, that's great. Great, it's great to be here. Um, in, this, uh, in this particular event, um, in, in the book you... Uh, you completely destroy um, Jim Garrison's case against um, Clay Shaw. But what are some of the other conspiracies that you take aim at? Well, what's interesting is that Garrison went after a lot of other people as well. So there was a, a promoter of Christian uh, uh, radio on the West Coast, Edgar Eugene Bradley, and Garrison indicted him for conspiring to kill Kennedy as well. And uh, what saved Edgar Eugene Bradley was that Ronald Reagan would not extradite him from California to stand trial uh, in New Orleans because Garrison could provide no evidence that Bradley was in Dallas or anywhere near Dallas on November 22nd. Um, but, you know, he had to hire a lawyer, um, cost him a lot of money to... Uh, to clear his name, and, you know, again, uh, another life, um, you know, hangs in the balance. There was a, a man in New Orleans, Carlos Bringuier, who was an anti-Castro Cuban, and Garrison went after him, and his wife was so worried that he would be arrested that she had a miscarriage. And so you get these stories of people losing jobs, pe- people uh, being harassed, people being bribed. I tell all of these stories in my book, and it was sort of a, a a little bit of a reign of terror in New Orleans. And yet, there were there were other places where meetings were supposed to have taken place, and and things were supposed to have happened. Las Vegas being one. Um, why New Orleans? Just because of Jim Garrison? Well, you know, again, it all relates to well Jim Garrison, and also the fact that that. Uh, you know Lee Harvey Oswald living there, and so it it, it meshed with his belief that the, the the conspiracy was incubated there. But of course, he had investigators all around the country. You know, he had people on the West Coast in various cities, people volunteers who were doing research for him, checking out leads. He had people from across the country mailing him letters and postcards. Prisoners, prisoners in various prisons were writing him all the time with leads on the assassination. His investigators were always going to prisons, uh, interviewing people. Uh, it's amazing just how far he went to investigate every lead that came into his office. 
And the you know there are so many things that it's it's almost hard to know where to start. How did you? How did I start on the? How Kennedy did you know? How did you know where to start for this book? I mean, I'm thinking well, of the magic I, bullet. I, and I well, in this book for Jim Garrison, I started with his papers, and yeah. what helped me was the National Archives put all of his papers online. And so as I went through his papers, uh, I was coming across crazy memo after crazy memo. And after I got to like 30 or 40 crazy memos that he had written, I realized, oh my God, he was worse than I thought. And maybe it's time for another book, because I don't think people realize, just in his own words, just how nuts he was. And that's why in my book I have so many documents from his investigation. I, and this is not your first book on uh, the JFK assassination. No, my last book was called I Was a Teenage JFK Conspiracy Freak. And it basically detailed you know, how, why and how I moved from believing in conspiracy into believing that there was no conspiracy. And that came out uh, two years ago. What was your... Um, what was the conspiracy theory that you believed in um, before changing? Well, I certainly believed uh, back then that it could not have been a huge conspiracy because people can't keep secrets that long. So I thought it was a, a small conspiracy of maybe two gunmen, a few other people, and perhaps it was rogue elements of the CIA com- combined with anti-Castro Cubans um, who had conspired, maybe the mob, conspired in Dallas. Uh, that's what I thought um, at, for many, many years. The What is it about the JFK assassination that makes these... Uh, I, I, I know that the cover-ups by various agencies um, helped create some smoke, but what is it about the event itself? Do, do people just have a difficult time believing that, well, that one guy could go up in a in a book depository and, and just fire off shots at the president? You know, Kennedy, yeah, in, in a sense, you know, how do you explain the tragedy of, a, of an American president who was young and youthful and brought hope to the country? You have to give meaning to the assassination. It doesn't really quite fit to have this great man assassinated by this little runt of a guy, 24-year-old Lee Harvey Oswald, that doesn't give it meaning. So you have to give the event meaning, and you have to build up some sort of conspiracy to help explain why he was killed. So you could say, well, he, he went after the mafia, so the mob had to kill him. Or he, you know, he went after the CIA, and they didn't like him, so they had to kill him. So the, the, the JFK assassination is the perfect Rosetta Stone that allows anybody to explain their politics through the assassination. And so if you want to go after the military-industrial complex, well, they were behind it because he wanted to go for peace. If you want to talk about the war in Vietnam, like Oliver Stone does, you could say, well, Kennedy wanted to withdraw from, from Vietnam, so he had to be killed. So it's like a Rorschach test, and you could see whatever you want to see through the assassination. And this, this book, um, this particular book, takes aim at primarily Jim Garrison? Primarily Jim Garrison and all the various conspiracies that emanated uh, from his office, but I also take aim at Oliver Stone. 
And I go after the Oliver Stone's movie because Oliver Stone, in his decision to make a movie about the JFK assassination, made Jim Garrison the hero. And he made Clay Shaw the evil villain. In effect, he victimized Clay Shaw a second time. And this was horribly unfair, a horrible thing for, for Oliver Stone to do. And so I go through a lot of the Oliver Stone movie uh, with several scenes, uh, and I really take apart exactly what he did. Yeah, I, the the problem I have with the the Oliver Stone movie is that there's a whole generation of people for whom that's all they know about the JFK assassination. It's true, and it's 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 very very sad that people see that and that, that is all they know, and they end up believing that Jim Garrison was this crusading hero who was out for the truth and it's it's just the complete opposite of who the man was and it completely uh, i mean it's uh, the sad i really feel for clay shaw because he was a very very good man a very very decent man a beloved man and uh, he was uh, attacked horribly uh, in this film it's very very sad is is it important to debunk these uh, these conspiracy theories in the JFK assassination to maybe create a template for how to treat new conspiracy theories? I think so, and I think that critical thinking is a very, very important element for students and, and young people and everybody to sort of get a handle on as to how you think about claims of conspiracy. It's, if not this, it's going to be something else, whether it's a 9-11 truther or it's, or it's a uh, Obama birther or it's a QAnon or whatever it is. These conspiracy theories are all over the place, and people desperately need the tools to analyze and think and understand uh, why these conspiracy theories are not only wrong, but it's a waste of your time to go down the rabbit hole and spend your life thinking about some of this stuff. Um, there's better things to do with your time. Quite honestly, I wish I had spent more time playing the guitar than researching the JFK assassination. <laughs> you could uh, write a blues song for Clay Shaw. Oh, man, I, I wish I had. I, you know, I'd be a great guitarist. All those hours, I'd be a great guitarist. <laughs> I, I remember seeing uh, in, in one of the things, um, in one of the quote-unquote documentaries about the JFK assassination where a drummer from Chicago or someplace was uh, trying to present audio evidence in his home studio that because of what motorcycle uh, police radios had their mics keyed at what times that there was acoustical evidence that there was more yeah, than that one was, shooter. That was Steve Barber. Steve Barber was a rock drummer from Ohio. Oh, okay, Ohio. And, and he was the one who, uh, the House Select Committee had based their evidence of a second gunman on the acoustics evidence from a stuck microphone um, that was recorded on a dicta belt at the headquarters of, of, the, of the Dallas police. That recording was released uh, way back uh, by, it was on a, one of those plastic recordings you got in Gallery Magazine. And Steve Barber was a rock drummer, and he bought that gallery magazine, and he played that recording to death, and he heard things. He heard things that other people couldn't hear, 
and he heard Sheriff Decker talk about um, uh, securing the area um, at the same time the shots supposedly occurred. But he said that around 90 seconds after the shots, and Steve Barber proved that that dictabelt evidence was not proof of a conspiracy. Um, he's a friend of mine. He's a really, really good, good guy. The um, I, I don't know if you're seeing it, but I, I think I'm beginning to see um, seeds of, of conspiracy theories uh, growing out of the January 6th breach of the Capitol. Are you seeing those things too? Well, you know, in, in a sense, you know, sometimes there are conspiracies. Certainly there were people who were conspiring to do some great damage on, on January 6th. Um, now, there probably will be counter-conspiracies, and, and I think that, you know, again, there's great danger in the fact that people have to use critical thinking and get their facts straight to understand exactly what really happened. There will have to be a, f a full investigation of January 6th, uh, to understand all the elements, um, and again, I, I would, I would, I would dare I say that five years from now there'll be conspiracy books on January sixth. Oh, I'm sure, just as there are for uh, September eleventh, um, yep. nine eleven, and uh, uh, some of the other things that you mentioned earlier, Fred. Um, does the the Studying that you've done about the JFK assassination and the various conspiracy theories and about Jim Garrison and his investigation, um, does it lead you to have a uh, penchant for trying to uh, find the truth in other conspiracy theories like what's at Area 51? Um, not not as much. I mean, I certainly am interested in the Robert Kennedy assassination, but uh, you know, my my expertise over so many years is really um, on on this one. I mean, I'm, I may I may write a book um, about another case coming up afterwards, but I I don't know. I'm not that interested in in flying saucers or UFOs um, because and that that's been so well researched and debunked. By other people, so I don't really have anything of value to add. But there have been tons of books, uh, pro and con conspiracy theories about the JFK assassination. Um, how well, not not as many and not as many non-conspiracy books. There's you know there's been some and some good ones. Gerald Posner's Case Closed and Vincent Bugliosi's Reclaiming History. Um, but in terms of debunking Garrison, for instance, the last good one was Patricia Lambert. Um, there's a few others that are out of print. So it's, sometimes it's timely, particularly on the non-conspiracy side, to uh, go over some of the new evidence and uh, debunk some of the newer theories. And what about the new evidence? They, I, I read uh, about a um, family uh, was going through their attic, their their. Um, the children of, of this man who served uh, in some capacity uh, in the White House, who ended up with the uh, the full-length recordings that were made on Air Force One flying back to Washington from Dallas. We'd heard bits and pieces of things, but the full tapes hadn't. Do you remember that story? Yeah, and and, and I think there's still even more tapes to be found. I think there's still some more. But again, there's nothing, you know... It, it doesn't lead to any sort of 
proof of any sort of conspiracy. Um, and there will always be. I mean, you know, there's more documents will be coming out later this year. Probably more documents after that, and and we'll there'll always be sort of small little, you know, people finding this and finding that. But every document that's come out over the years, nothing has pointed to conspiracy. With these new documents that are coming out, and with some of the uh, uh, things that that various agencies tried to cover up during investigations of the JFK assassination. Are we, I, I guess this is sort of two-part, um, are we learning anything about how to deal with the killing of a president, um, what to do and what not to do, and, and how much of the new information, especially with regard to the way that uh, agencies reacted to the killing, um, revealing uh, the the fact that we just really didn't know how to deal with the killing of a president. Well, and a, a, a very, very big problem of the Warren Commission was that they were under political pressure to complete their investigation before the election in 1964. And so they issued their report in September um, and then disbanded. And that was a very, very big issue because they really hadn't finished all of their work. And so what they should have done was, here is our interim report. We will stay in existence for another six months, another year, so we can tie up any loose ends and any new evidence that comes forward we'll look at. That was a big mistake. Uh, the other thing that, of course, the Warren Commission made another big mistake, and they didn't investigate, they didn't look into, they didn't look at the autopsy x-rays and photographs. And had they done that, had they hired a full forensic team to look at the autopsy x-rays and photographs back then, there would not have been a controversy over the wounds of President Kennedy. And that would have forestalled a lot of the controversy um, over the years. So there were mistakes made back then. Have we learned from our mistakes, I hope so. Um, I hope we don't have to really find out in another, in another assassination. Uh, but who knows? Let, let me say one thing about the files. The real interesting files that I really hope to come out over the years are not in Washington. They're in Moscow. They're in Minsk. Yeah. They're in Havana and in Mexico City. And those are the four cities that are the files I want to see. Because what I'm really interested in, the files in Moscow and in Minsk, because Oswald lived in Minsk, I want to know whether there were any KGB operations to help prove um, that the CIA killed Kennedy. I've written about three operations that they've, that they've had over the years to do that. I want to know whether there's any more operations um, to help convince the American people there was a conspiracy. You know, with... Uh You've talked about critical thinking and truth, and in this age of, quote, fake news, um, how, do we, how do we relearn how to differentiate between what seems like a plausible theory and fact when we're looking for the truth? That's a really good question, and it's a very hard one to answer. But I think there's two things, and I think we, we, we've clearly for university students and high school students we need to teach critical thinking but we have to go beyond critical thinking to go to sort of fact-based education students need more facts 
they need to understand the facts of World War One and World War Two and the American Revolution and American history, world history and geography. You have to have a basis of facts. Um, so that then you could use critical thinking to evaluate theories. If you don't know basic facts about things, then you are susceptible, even if even if you have some good critical thinking, you're susceptible to um, conspiracy theories. And so I think we have to get back to teaching history and geography and, and really making sure that students exit university with a really good basis of factual knowledge. I know every time I watch uh, cable news now, I hear echoing in the back of my head uh, Jack Webb saying, just the facts, ma'am. Yep. Yeah, and, you know, I, again, and you know, I worry that too many students don't know what happened in the Holocaust. And if you don't know what happened in the Holocaust, then you are prone to thinking all sorts of really horrible things about, about anti-Semitism and the Holocaust, and that, that worries me greatly. The um, we just have a uh, a couple of minutes left, Fred, before we go to break, and uh, I, I want to get a chance, as I do with all my guests, to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, the uh, book is on the trail of delusion. Uh, Jim Garrison, the Great Accuser, by Fred Litwin. Fred, uh, do you have a uh, website where people can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future? Yep, I've got a great website, www.onthetrailofdelusion, all one word, .com. And on my website, you can learn where to buy my book, but I also have a daily blog. And I have a lot of primary garrison documents, a lot of other stories on my blog that are not in my book. A lot of material. So, and I have pictures and, and a lot of interesting stuff, so people should go to my website on the trail of delusion.com. And and what's next for you, Fred? It's going to be one more book on the JFK assassination to complete the trilogy, and it'll be a book on the early critics in the in the 1960s um, who misled the American public on conspiracy. People like Mark Lane and other people who uh, my tentative title is We Were Misled. Wow, and and that's a title, unfortunately, that um, would be timely for a number of different subjects. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a fun book. It's going to be full of pictures and and uh, f- full of documents, and it's it's going to be actually be quite 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 a lot of fun. Well, Fred, thanks for sharing uh, some of this information and uh, your time with me this morning. It's been a real pleasure. I'm fascinated by this subject. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Yep. Bye. That was uh, Fred Litwin. He is uh, the author of, uh, as I mentioned, uh, a new book that debunks the JFK conspiracy theories and uh, um, reasserts that uh, there was only one gunman. He is the author of several books. He's written articles for the National Post, the Ottawa Citizen, and the Toronto, among others. And uh, anyway, we uh, are going to take a short break. If you're listening to us at WFOV 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the uh, Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com,
www.thepowerofpositivity.com. We have some messages as well. And uh, we still have another hour to go on today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program as we head into uh, another weekend. Well, actually, we'll be wrapping up the month of January after today's show. But uh, uh, stay with us. we got lots, lots more good stuff coming next week and beyond. Uh, coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk about Last Stands. Stay tuned. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque riverway. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. 
The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner Program.com. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, what is bigotry? I don't know what bigotry is. What does uh, hatred mean? I don't know what it is. Uh, what is uh, prejudice? Um, I think it's when somebody's sick. Special bulletin. Dallas, Texas. The flash, apparently official. President John F. Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live. 
No one can be certain who next will suffer from some senseless act of bloodshed.
wash my hands I don't touch my face I stay at home Shelter in place Social distance Don't go to work I wear a mask and gloves Stay away from church I avoid old folks And should I sneeze I do it in my elbow Or up my sleeve Six feet apart can go back to school I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu Roku, Netflix PBS and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors and I'm sick of what I see of quarantine will be the death of me the death of me I risk a trip to the grocery store to buy a TV and a few things more but when I get there all I can find Sixteen honey buns and some mad dog wine. I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors, cause I'm sick of what I see. of this quarantine's gonna be the death of me the death of me you know they say this is war but we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Pork Chop Hill and we just lay here on the couch and watch TV I'd rather volunteer for a high risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bad soup I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like, yes, dear, yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. Well, what slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized as <laughs> soon as I regained consciousness. I 
that dial, you're listening to Tom Sumner. <laughs> 